Praise the Lord. Amen. Great things are in store for tonight. Amen. I mentioned this Sunday, but I got to mention it again because I have to honor a beautiful lady here. She says don't, but tomorrow is the day. Uh, 43 years ago, tomorrow, on a Saturday, June 24th, 1978. And uh, I'm thinking, man, I leaned over and told Candy, I said, do you realize well before we're 70, you know, a couple of years before we're even 70, we'll be married 50 years. I'm thinking before long, I'm going to be married more than I am old. I don't know how that works. It's good. <laughs> Two, you know, 18-year-olds are not, they're not supposed to make it. But uh, we did, and Gay did, and hallelujah, but praise God, yes, amen, amen. I'm excited, I've been away a few days, Candy and I, and uh, with our kids, so I asked a doctor, he's doctor of something, Dr. Homer Betancourt, <laughs> Dr. Seuss, <laughs> Dr. Seuss, uh, true story, I had a guy, you know, I've told it before, he, and it was just not well wasn't too many years ago he came over here you wouldn't know him but he sat in our congregation nice guy um and uh he's a he has a doctorate he's actually a teacher at one of the schools and he has a doctorate and i i want to say i'm i it's a sometimes you can get a doctorate just any anybody can go online and get but i mean this was a legitimate kind of seminar seminary rather and uh he came over, took me to lunch because he wanted to ask me some biblical questions. He wasn't in contention. He just wanted to know. And he goes, I'm a doctor. He goes, or I've got a doctorate. And he goes, but I don't really know the word of God. It, it was in, he was a, he had a ministerial, I mean, kind of doctor, I guess. And, and, uh, but he was a teacher. He wasn't a minister. But he goes, I don't really know the word of God like you do. And he goes, uh, he, he told me this. He goes, he was honest. He said, uh, I got the doctorate so I could intimidate people. If they wanted to argue or something, I could say, well, I got a doctorate. What do you got? So that's not. (laughs) So there's what I'm saying all that to say this. There's people with doctorates that don't know anything uh, biblically. And then there's people that know a lot and they have really no titles to their name. And then there's doctorates like Pastor Jim that he he knows a lot. And he's got something to his name, but he, he really doesn't care. Hallelujah. But Dr. Homer of something, uh, our, uh, our esteemed brother is stepping in for me tonight and, and helping out. So would you bring him forth, please? Hallelujah. Amen. Great. Oh, let's give him a great big hand. Amen. <laughs> and those through the camera, please. Amen. I hope you're standing at home in a, an ovation. So glory to God. Praise God. I had to go to the dentist today. Six fillings. I'm alive. My gum is moving. My mouth is moving. I'm going to make it. Um, I, I really, really and truly, well, should I, should I, should, it should always be truly, right? Yeah. I should have to say that. Yeah, I sound like a politician. Now I'm going to be transparent. <laughs> when a politician tells you about to be transparent, beware. They are finna lie. <laughs> But uh, no, I'm glad to be here. I've been in the in two chapters for about two weeks. Two chapters, as the Holy Ghost is trying to reveal something to me. And I think I heard hadn't heard a teaching by Pastor Dave in a long time. Uh, I was also on, on in Luke 16, 15, 16, and 17. 
And the unjust steward has always given me a hard time. Do you understand that? Even I've heard it, you know, you ever go to the point where you hear something over and over again and you, yeah, I got it, I got it. But then you leave and you don't get it. So I've been going through it and going through it and going through it. And I couldn't take it no more. I said, Gary, can you direct me to one of Pastor Dave's old teachings on the unjust word? And he did. And uh, it was incredible. And I, and I wasn't too far from the understanding of it. I wasn't too far. Another three or four or five months, I would have got it. But I had a cheat sheet in front of me, man. I had a cheat sheet, so I used it. I said, yes. But I didn't have it, not even close to how he had it. But he said something that was so vital. And I hadn't heard Pastor. I'm, let me tell you one thing. Say what you want to say. That man can spit some wisdom out. He will just, from a simple exhortation, just simplicity, without even trying to impress. You're just in awe of his wisdom, of his articulation of the word. And he's not trying to articulate it. He's just being Pastor Dave. And I just, I'm just like this, hearing this, this, like, and then he gets to teaching with no notes, and I don't use notes either, but it's not because I don't want to. I could use notes sometimes. Uh, trust me, they come in handy, because sometimes you, like Sarah always said, the homer, slow down, and when you preach too fast, you'll forget. Not because you just, you're, you're. You're beating the Holy Ghost to the draw. He wants you to speak what he wants you to speak, but when you're emotional and you preach fast, you're going to forget those thoughts. So having those, I, I, I see it more and more. And just go through what the Holy Ghost wants you to share. So I'm learning, trying to learn my best to really slow down. And Pastor Dave can preach fast and preach slow. He just teaches like you wouldn't believe without notes. And this man is just incredible. Uh, I cried. I just cried hearing him. I just, and he said something about, I just, um, not per se, he just said, so I pitched my tent, drove my stakes in the ground, and I stayed in in Proverbs 16 over and over again. Basically, he's saying until I saw it, until faith began to work in me. And he said something so vital that until you see the image of it, there really truly isn't any faith to see the whole image of it. And I could just feel myself through Mark 9 and 10 over and over again. There, reading, praying in the Holy Ghost, reading, stopping, cutting off the CD player, praying in the Holy Ghost, listening for about two weeks because he wanted to teach me something. Not so much... And I had not, and I didn't I didn't prepare. I didn't I just stayed where he wanted me to stay so that I would be edified and my faith would grow concerning certain things. And and I've been in the same two chapters for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I'll take a glance here and there somewhere else, but the Lord wanted to relay something to me that I needed, not to articulate it, not to teach it, but I needed to see an image for my edification. So I prayed in the Holy Ghost, our helper, and I and during this time of intense going into the scriptures, I said, Lord, just the Holy Ghost, just open up my heart, man. Just I prayed on my heart. Help me, Lord. Help me. 
Show me my error. Show me my darkness. Show me my complacency. Help me, Holy Ghost. Give me open heart surgery every time I utter a tongue. Help me, Lord, in my infirmities. Help me. Help me. I love me, but I don't love me. Open up my heart. Thank you for being the teacher that you are, Holy Ghost, but just operate on my heart. Shine the lights on those areas of complacency. And I would just say it over and over again. I would cry and I just had a good time. And I believe he's beginning to get something over to me that I really needed. I began about a couple of months ago to really go per his instruction also to understand grace more. And I taught about grace on a Wednesday. And please understand, when I talked about that grace, I'm talking about the grace at regeneration. That I was a recipient of something so incredible at the rebirth. At the rebirth. I did nothing to earn freedom. I confessed it with this and believed it with this. I needed to do nothing about what I received. I was a recipient of something powerful and extravagant, the love of God. I died. Death was abolished inside of me. And I was born again based on nothing that I did. And the Holy Ghost began to show me through the word what true grace was. And please, and what he showed me was incredible. Because upon regeneration, I earned nothing, man. I've sinned my whole life. And this is not a message about grace. Just exhorting this for a little bit. I've sinned my whole life. Then in the twinkling of an eye, I confess with this and believe with that. And I'm a son of God. That's grace. That's the true grace that I was trying to articulate. Make no mistake. Never, ever in my life have I ever leaned in this direction. Never have I thought this. That grace is an excuse to sin. If I thought that that man right there would not leave me 20 feet from this pulpit. He would not let me preach. And neither would some of you. You'd probably throw the Bible at me if I ever attempted to, to say that. Never have I ever thought grace. On the contrary. I can say that. And you can agree with me. On the contrary. That's far from being my message. Far from be my message. I have never preached that you can sin and don't have to ask for repentance. That has never been, never, ever been what I've taught. Never. Him knowing, yes, I bumble sometimes when I preach because I talk too fast. Yes. Yes, I do. But like I told Pastor Brunk, I'm just a blue collar minister. I'm not the most educated guy. I'm not a dummy either now. But I said, Pastor Bonk, do you believe what I believe about grace? He said, Homer, this is what I believe you believe. I said, well, you believe right on what I believe. The grace that we receive upon regeneration had nothing to do with what we did. But I was a recipient and a beneficiary. Something so extravagant and awesome. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life based on what I believed. Based on what he did for me. He made me accepted in the beloved. I did nothing, man. I received it by grace. Grace. That is my definition of grace. 
according to this book and with the awesome prayer language that I have, that's what the Holy Ghost has taught me. And there's more to grace. I was, I was praying in tongues about a, about a month ago, just going off in my room, just, and I just this thought came to me. That grace is given for obedience to the faith. Can you say amen to that? But more grace abounds in obedience to the faith. Did you catch that? Grace is given for obedience to the faith, but grace abounds in obedience to the faith. Grace is wonderful. And the Holy Ghost is only capable of teaching me what I just taught you because that's what he taught me. He, he won't take me outside of that. If I preach anything outside of grace being an excuse to sin, that's heresy, my friends. That is, I became a beneficiary of something so great and amazing. And it, and understanding grace has taught me to be more consistent and it's easier to stand up in the back to lift up my hands and worship God because I understand my net worth in his eyes. I understand what you're worth to him. I understand what unbelievers are worth to him. And when I can see how much I'm worth to him, I can see how much you're worth to him. I can see how much the sinner is worth to him. And it's getting easier and easier. Yes, thank you, Lord. Easier and easier to love people. It's one thing to evangelize God's word with this. It's easy. You can evangelize God's word with your mind and with your mouth. It's another thing to evangelize God's word with this and with that. It's called lifestyle evangelism. And the Holy Ghost has taught me. He'd rather have this and this than this and this. Lifestyle evangelism. One person has taught me a lot and I esteem this person high in the eyes of God. Miss Candy used to make me so mad. Come to church in a bad mood and here she comes. Hey, Homer, I love you, Homer. Here's your bottle of water. Stop being so nice, lady. And it broke through. I tell her I love her back now and I mean it. Don't tell her I said that. Edit the tape so she won't hear it. But, and I attribute all that to grace, to knowing the true grace of God, man. The kindness shown to me by the Lamb of God has me understand what I'm worth to him and what you're worth to me. See, I can't love you anymore unless I love him more. You don't have to love twice to love once. You just love once and you love twice. You love him and that means I love you. And grace, understanding true biblical grace, the one we've been taught here, has done wonders for me. I, it gets easier to love people, man. It gets easier to say I love you. Even if I don't get an I love you back, I can't wait to say you I love you again. And it's easier not to take offense at people. And the Holy Ghost, now that I understand grace, and that's not the message that we're going to get to the message in a little bit. It's not even a great revelation. It's just, a, it's just a, an observation that the Holy Ghost showed me in Mark 9 and 10. Grace has taught me, and I'm starting to understand who I am in God. 
I've been redeemed by purity, by innocent blood. I've been given the life of God, changed eternally by grace and grace alone. And this brings an increase of a grace inside of me. There's, you, you, you won't make it without this. You won't make it without the essentials. The word essential means it's absolutely, rephrase, it's absolutely necessary to execute the essentials. What's the essentials? Prayer. Fasting. Meditation of God's word. And these pause to worship the Lord. These are essential. The word essential in the Webster's mean it's absolutely necessary. There is no growth without it. But I'll say this. When I did get born again, I didn't pray in tongues. I didn't fast for about eight months after I got born again. And I walked, and all I did was read this. That's all I did. Which, that was enough at the time. And I was a different person. But I'll reiterate what Pastor Bong said, but it did come back. And it came back strong after about eight months. The very thing that I had overcome, it came knocking again. And I allowed it to kick my behind. But it didn't kick my behind completely because here I am 30 years later. I'm holding this up. Thank God for what we're taught. Thank God for, not even for the amen that we utter in church. You know, what's more commendable than the amen? And and I'm like, Pastor, we like hearing amen. It does make you feel good. It makes you feel the crowd is with you. But you know what's more spectacular than the amen? It's the adjustment to the amen that we make in church. You can say amen and sound good in church, but if there's not an adjustment to the amen, then the amen was vanity. I used to say amen all the time when pastor talked about tongues and the Bible. Amen. I want you to hear me that I knew that you knew I was praying in tongues and reading the Bible. I stopped that because I was doing it in pride. Doing it in pride because I wanted you to know that I was the dog when it came to tongues and nothing but pride. So now you got to figure out whether I'm praying or not. So I say nothing. So now you got to try to figure me out. I'm going to pull a Marty. I'm not going to say nothing. Try to figure it out if you want to. <laughs> I'm giving away my secrets. But grace has brought me to a new place of understanding and a new level of treating people. It's about lifestyle evangelism, my friends. Lifestyle evangelism. And the Holy Ghost has really been checking me. Checking my heart about my love walk. We live in a society. Now grace has taught me all this. We live in a society that I never thought I would live through in my lifetime. Things that are happening right now in this country of ours. It's amazing to me. Satan is trying to use black and brown ties in together to argue and fight against the white people. And he's doing a good job. But I'll tell you this. 
there's plenty of blame to go around. We could all sit here and blame this, that, this, that. But at the end of the day, what Pastor Bronk said Sunday, it is a sin problem. You could blame, blame every single race. Yes, there's black on black crime. Absolutely. The inner cities are in shambles. What about my people? Making millions and billions of dollars. The Mexican drug cartels. Raping little girls at the border. They say their parents are pumping them with birth control. Knowing they're going to be raped in the journey from El Salvador. Over here so they won't get pregnant. Raping young ladies. Making billions off of the poor. Those are my people. We're all people, but that's my race that's doing that. Yes, there's black on black crime. Yes, there is. And yes, there's brown on brown pride. I mean, crime like you wouldn't believe, especially in Los Angeles, all these street gang, gang banging Mexicans that are there. That's true. And that exists. And it's out there, man. Well, a shadow of a doubt. But in our Congress, there's very few black and brown people. They're filled with Caucasians that are passing legislation that far, far is anti-God. There is legislation being passed now in Minnesota by a certain party that wants to call this book a hate crime, a hate speech. They're trying to pass it in Minnesota now. That this is hate. This book tells me to love you. This book tells me to love the fornicator, the adulterer, and the homosexual. Islam is creeping into our government. Islam is being highly esteemed. While this book tells me to love the homosexual, Sharia law, and Islam wants the homosexual thrown off a roof and killed. But they want to burn this book as hate speech? Sharia law calls that if you're not converted to Islam, you are an infidel, you deserve death. Sharia law says that if you're gay, you deserve death instantly. And they want to call this hate speech? This book tells me that my Savior died for the fornicator? For the adulterer and for the homosexual. This book tells me that the blood of Jesus is for the sinner. That's what this book tells me. This book never gives me a reason to hate anyone. Make no mistake, we preach Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ crucified. And we preach what the Bible calls wrong, it's wrong. The Bible calls good, it's good. But we never ever have an excuse to hate. If you hate somebody as a Christian, you're probably not born again. But there's much blame to go around. African Americans are guilty. I don't think there's anybody as violent right now as Hispanic culture, the Latin culture. 30,000 Mexicans are killed every year in Mexico by Mexicans. White people aren't killing them. White people aren't killing people in the ghetto. 
We're killing ourselves. Now, yes, I'm not blind. I didn't think this would happen in my lifetime, man. I'm shocked to hear what I hear in the news. And I'm about to get off of this. But every race has its issues. The black and brown aren't predominantly in the White House. The anti-God legislation is passed by Caucasians. The school board that's bringing divisions in our schools, putting blacks against whites. They're not brown or black. They're mostly Caucasian. Okay, enough of that. But the problem is the kingdom of darkness and the fact that the church has been weak in its faith and its pursuit of Jesus Christ. That's the problem. White people aren't our problem. Mexicans, we sure ain't the problem. (laughs) That's a joke. Black people aren't the problem. Yes, there's things in our culture that need not be there. Absolutely. But the answer to this problem has to be a manifestation of the kingdom of God. Revival. And what I'm going to teach you today is, is going to, I don't know if you've ever seen it. You probably have. Because many of you spend hours in the word of God like I do. And I try my very best not to ever preach an opinion. You know what? Opinions mean nothing. 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 But understanding God's grace has elevated to a place of understanding, to a place of love, where the Holy Ghost checks me. I can't even talk bad about myself anymore. I can't. My wife could talk bad about me, but I can't. It's a joke. I can't take an offense at you for nothing. Basically, I'm told to shh, to be quiet. I'm told to be quiet. If I don't like what you're... Now, I have every right to hate evil. Every single right to hate evil. And I can be vocal about that, but I have no right to hate the evildoer. No right at all. Not as a servant, not as a doulos of God. I do not have that right. I can speak this biblical, and I will speak it, and I won't compromise it. I will not. I will never offer an apology for what the Bible calls wrong, or what the Bible calls right. I'm not a coward. I will always preach this book, and I'm striving more and more to walk in the love. We will never win over this world with head knowledge. See, the sinner, they could care less what we know until they know that we care. They don't care what I know. When they know that I care, that's when I'll make a difference in their life. The Lord started checking me about six, seven months ago. I used to be filled with jokes about homosexuals. Yes, I I admit it. But then the Lord pricked my heart one day, telling me basically, stop it. How can I make fun of a person mock them and laugh at their expense and say that I want them born again. The Holy Ghost said, stop it and stop it now. I've been telling my kids the last few months, I don't want one joke about a gay lifestyle in this house. Not, I don't want not even one bit of laughter in this house. How am I ever going to want a gay person born again when I mocked them and laughed them? So the Holy Ghost is really checking me, man. He's really pricking my heart and I like it, man. I like it. I like it. I like it a lot.
The world will only know who we are in God by the love that we walk in. It's not enough to say God is love, man. It's not, it's easy to say God loves you. No, no, no. When you say God loves you, we better be obeying the love of God that's in us when we say God loves you so they can feel the word God loves you. It's called laying down your life. There's a doulos. Took me 30 years to understand this. I can't laugh at your expense, man. Jesus didn't laugh at me when I was a pervert, when I should have died of AIDS. He didn't laugh at me. He threw a party when I gave my life to him. He took out a gold ring, put feet on my, put shoes on my feet. He killed the fatted calf. He rejoiced. The angels of heaven were put on notice. He came home. Jesus didn't mock me. He said, I'm not allowed to knock anybody, whether a fornicator, whether an adulterer, whether a homosexual. I'm here to walk in the love of God and shut my mouth and love you. And love you right into the kingdom of God. The world does not care what I know, though we got to know what we know after we get them born again. But as far as getting them, they don't care what I know until they know that I care. I apologize to anyone that's ever heard me with these jokes about gay people. I was so out of line. So prideful, so ignorant of the scriptures. I told my boys, I don't want to hear another joke. And they don't. They don't joke, really. They just laugh. So we're not going to laugh at somebody else's expense, son. We're not going to do it. It's the will of God that every person in this world be won over to him. And believe it or not, he needs us for that. So I pledge allegiance to the Lamb. The world doesn't care what we know, man. Do they know that we care? Now, after we get them born again and Holy Ghost filled, it's vital that we preach proper doctrine. It's essential. It's absolutely necessary to teach him the power of the rebirth, to teach him Romans 6. And the chapter 7 of Romans is not talking about a person born again struggling with sin. It's vital that they know this. And we preach it here. Not everybody agrees with it, but I don't care if they agree with me or not. Go through it about a thousand times, then come argue with me. Plus, I had a cheat sheet too called Since I Have No Dominion Over You by Pastor Dave Roberson. But it didn't become real to me, Pastor, until I seen it myself, though. It didn't become real to me until I see it myself. Sarah said that one time we were eating dinner with her and Harriet. He said, look, we got to quote the word first. We'll put the word on it. We, we got to know where it's at. And then we can quote our pastor. He said, she said, I was very impressed with that. Yes, we got to be able to quote it and find it and share it with people. Then we can, it's nice to quote our pastor after we show it through God's word. And that's so true. So I'm excited, man. Grace has refocused me to see you through the lens of the gospel. Grace has taught me to be quiet and to love. I wasn't mocked by Jesus when I was out in the world sinning. I was pretty darn good at it, too. 
But heaven rejoiced when I said, Christ, you are the son of God. Come into my heart. You found me in the gutter, Lord. And you raised me from spiritual death. And you wrote my name in heaven. I see my net worth in his eyes through his blood. And I see you there also. And I see every person that isn't born again. I'm to see them with the same eyes and love of compassion that my Lord to win them over. I can't win them over with sarcasm. But I'll always be sarcastic with Miss Candy and with Delia. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Me and Miss Candy always play around a lot. And there's no malice in her. She talks about my ear. She puts her hand on my ear. It says, shrink, shrink in Jesus' name. We're not talking about that. See, yeah, your wife does that, Pastor Monk, anyway. Shrink in Jesus' name. Shrink. I got a big left here. Look, look, it's big. Hey, see? <laughs> We're not talking about that. We have a good time. I fight with Delia all the time. It's clean stuff, man. Even Nathaniel's new girlfriend. My, oh my God, Miss Kenny, you love her, Miss Kenny. She makes fun of my ear also. She makes fun of my stomach. I don't know why. And David's friend, oh my God. I call her Babuska. She's, we, you got to be thick skin to be part of my family. We have fun. We have a lot of fun, man. Clean fun. But I began to really understand grace and to know that grace was an empowerment for me not to walk in habitual sin, that I received Christ through nothing that I did only but what I confessed with this and believed with my heart. And I was born again freely. And to wax strong in spirit, I had to grow in this. And the grace of God would be upon me if I continued in this, in the ways of the gospel. So the Holy Ghost took me to Mark 9 and 10. Just going through it over and over and over again. I've been going through Luke too, but basically just Mark 9 and 10. Go to Mark 10, verse 43, I believe. And Ms. Gamma, I'm going to have you come up in a little bit and read uh, Mark 10, verse 46 through 52 in a little bit. We're going to go probably to Mark 10, verse 43. This is what the Holy Ghost showed me regarding. For him to show me this, let me know that I wasn't as committed as I thought I was. I hate to tell you that, but I haven't been. I walked pure. But I could always walk purer. <laughs> Love is still being perfected in me. But the more I understand grace, it seems like I'm making just quantum leaps towards that level of understanding, that level of love, and that level of growth, growth in God. And I just began to read this over and over again. I think I'm going to start in verse 43 of Mark 10. Don't, I shouldn't go way off of what is being What's written there, I should remember it. But you know what? I'm not putting that much focus on that anymore. If I miss a word, man, I'm going to miss a word. It doesn't matter, man. I'm not going to spend time in my prayer closet memorizing scripture to present it in a perfect way to you. I'm going to speak from my heart. If I miss a word, it's on you because you got a Bible. You can correct it within yourself. It's going to be on you. 
Now we know that great people like to lord over lesser people. That's the way of the world. I'm rich. I'm not, I'm not rich. I'm just saying I'm rich. I'm famous. I am a basketball star. I'm a movie star. You're going to yield to my ways because you're a peasant. You're just a commoner. You yield to my lordship. Not with us. We yield to his lordship. Were commoners made high priests through his blood. Now I seen this the other day and it really blessed me a lot. It brings, not that we needed validation, but it's just more validation to see, to edify me. On what being a doulos really is and what is the What word am I looking for? What is the sum total of being a doulos, which is the Greek word for being a bond servant, a servant of God. We know that we get born again through grace. We receive newness of life. And we know we spend our life yielding to him inside of us. What he says, yea, means yea. What he says, nay, means nay. We yield to his lordship. And we know that great people like to lord over lesser people. Not so amongst us. On the complete contrary. But contrasting what the world calls as being great. That's, that thought is out of our mind. Or at least it better be. Because if that's your disposition, you're going to try to be great in your own league for a while and never achieve anything in the kingdom of God. Never. If that is your mindset. As far as People yielding to you. No, we yield to his lordship in us. We yield to this. We yield to the Holy Ghost. We yield to the Lamb of God. We surrender to the Lamb of God. And Jesus, Jesus said this now three times, if I'm not mistaken, in Mark 9 and 10, paraphrase, Jesus says, I'll be handed over, I'll be spit upon, be crucified, but on the third day, I will rise again. That should tell us volumes about our life. The pressure's coming, my friends. It's coming. Cancel culture's coming for this. But they can't have what's in here. Only me as a coward will let go what's in here. They can torture me. They can kill me. They can beat me. They can pull my toenails out. They can pluck my eyes out. Only me in a cowardly way will I ever let them have my confession. Now I know why the apostles called themselves servants. Almost before every single epistle. They understood grace. They understood the price that Christ paid for their sin. And the price that he paid for their healing. The atonement, Isaiah 53. Jesus said this. The heathen 
they, paraphrasing there, they think that you do to submit to their lordship. He said, but not so among you. 43. For he that will be great shall be his minister. He that will be chiefest shall be your servant. For even the Son of Man did not come to be ministered to, but to minister and to give and to give and to give his life a ransom for many. The word ransom could be defined as figuratively atonement. That among us, Miss Gay, among us, Miss Rosie, Sarah, among us, you want to be great? You must be a minister. You want to be the chiefest? You must be a doulos. For even the Son of Man did not come to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. His blood came to redeem me. He found me in the gutter through his perfection. He redeemed me and filled me with his spirit. The same can be said about every fornicator, about every adulterer, about every drug addict, about every homosexual. Jesus Christ didn't come here to send you to hell. He came to redeem you, man. Stop being mad at Jesus. Don't let churches that don't preach the truth tell you any different. He came to redeem you. He came to reconcile you to his father through his atonement. He came to appease God on your behalf, man. To live a whole, clean, pure life so that his lifestyle would be pleasing to God and you would be justified. He came knowing that we were sinners. He was just acknowledged that he came. He said, I'll take the punishment, Homer, for your perversion. I'll take that punishment. Let it be laid on me, Homer. I'll go, Father. I'll give my life away. He came to ransom me. He came to ransom the fornicator. He came to ransom the adulterer. He came to ransom the homosexual. He didn't come to condemn you. We're condemned already before he came. The world was lost before Christ. I was already condemned. He came to pull me out of that condemnation if I would only believe. Jesus, your stripes healed me. He's not mad at you, man. Christ is not preached in context and in truth. Because preachers don't read the Bible. What the Bible calls wrong is wrong. No compromise. Among us, we are to lay our life down for each other. How much authority do you think I have to get a person born again when I mock them when no one's looking? How much authority is there? Proverbs chapter 17. He that has knowledge spares his words. A man of understanding. He's esteemed a man of understanding. 
Even a fool, listen, even a fool when he holds his peace. Even a fool when he holds his peace is highly esteemed. A man that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. I've been told to shh, to be quiet. And mortification is far more than just a shh. Mortification works deep in the roots where I don't even want to say anything anymore. Not doing it is fine. There can be a place in me through him, through the assistance of the Holy Ghost, where I won't even feel like saying it. I'm called to lay down my life for this world, man. Why do you think Jesus said three times? I'm going to be handed over to the Gentiles. I'm going to be spit upon. I'm going to be killed. The third day, I will rise again. He should have said, do you still want some of this? Do you still want some of this? We're not going to win the world unless we decide that this body that we have here is to be set to the side. Opinions belong in one place that's on the cross. A narrative belongs one place that's on the cross. Jokes about people belong one place on the cross. On the cross. Never to come down. Why? Because I'm called to lay down my life for you. My Lord laid down his life and was a ransom for many. He was an atonement for many to make us just. He never once laughed at me. He never once mocked me. And it's time that I stop. Completely. It started working me about six or seven months ago. It's getting real easy now that I understand grace. I remember about seven, eight years ago, the kid went to my house. He was he was gay. Gay is, he was he was gay. He didn't hide it. He was a cheerleader with Julie. He came to the house. He was a real nice guy. Most of you know him. It's not a battle that I say his name. He came to the house and he gave me a big old hug. Then he backed up and he apologized. He said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hug you. I know that you Christian y'all hate gays. I said, nobody. Not this Christian. That day, the Lord began to work in me, but I didn't get real serious about it until about six, seven months ago. I just completely, almost cold turkey, just stopped laughing at somebody else's expense. Why? Because I'm a doulos. Either will be great, let him be minister. He that will be chiefest, let him be a servant, a doulos. But the Son of Man did not come to be ministered to, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. All those words, they basically parallel each other. I came to serve. I didn't come to have you serve me. I came to serve you. This is the part where I've missed it. I know a doulos submits to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We submit to this, to all of this. 
not just to what's easy to submit to, but to be in submission to all of this, jokes ceasing. If they don't cease, or I'm not striving for them to cease, then I'm not a doulos. My Savior laid down his life to be a ransom for many, to atone for the sins of the world. I'm here representing the Savior. If he laid down his life so that I would have eternal life, then I got to lay down my life every day so that the world can see who God is in me. And it has to come at the expense of obedience, not mockery or jokes. Because he's called us to be a doulos. To be subservient to his lordship inside of us. I haven't gone through these scriptures in a long time, so bear with me. I believe it's 1 John 4. They all coincide with each other, all these scriptures. Again, I haven't gone through them before I miss a word. Just shoot a spitball at me, hit me in the head with it. But Thank you, Pastor. Oh, thank you. Say it again. Say it again. Oh, God. Hey, man. Good preaching. Remember, a doulos. You know why I know Jesus Christ is, thank you, Lord. I wanted to really say this today. I don't care how poor you've grown up. I don't care if you grew up in a single family home. Jesus Christ is the answer. I'm going to tell you why. I was blessed on Father's Day. Carl grew up with a dad down the street, never visited him. Alex grew up with his dad murdered in Haiti. I called Carl the other day. Works his 12-hour shifts when I call him. What's up, Carl? You know, I'm 53. I still talk a little slang. I tried to. I forgot that I'm six years, seven years from 60. And that I'm halfway home already. So does Pastor Brown. He says, true dad. And he says, bro. So if he can say it, I can say it. And I'm proud of Carl. He works his butt off. What you doing? Uh, just making you a little bit of breakfast. Bacon. Pancakes. Eggs. I want to say, can I move in? Called him, I think on Father's Day, I think, or the next day. What you doing, Carl? Ah, just sitting here with my baby Scarlett. Got her sleeping on my chest. Wait a minute, Carl. You can't do that. You didn't have a father growing up. Where's your excuse, Carl? But no, Jesus fixed that void. He filled that void. Right now, he's an excellent husband to a beautiful African-American woman named Jacoby Wilson. A good husband with a good wife. Where's your baby at? Oh, I got her sleep right on my chest. I had to put the phone away. We went to China Star Sunday. I got nicknames for everybody. I call Carl Wall Street. I call Alex. I call him Bitcoin. I call David's girlfriend... The Bronx. He's from the Bronx. I called. Uh, I'm no. I called Daniel's girlfriend. The Bronx. He's from the Bronx. I called David's girlfriend. Babushka. I got. We got names for everybody in our house. Everybody. I can't tell you what I call Miss Candy. But anyway, uh, Sarah. I call her the original BP. I call Harry Piano. I call Robert Baboito. I call her. I got names for everybody. And I call myself Fabio. Anyway, <laughs> right, Rosie. 
And I seen, we went to, my son-in-law likes, you know, we went out with my family and we went to China Star in Lehigh and lo and behold, Bitcoin was there, Alex. By the way, I call Renee the Surgeon General. Yeah, he's, he's a, he's a doctor in his own league according to Google. <laughs> I tell him that all the time. Yeah, he would call Renee, I got a headache, what do you do? Oh, take Tylenol. That's what he says for everything. Take Tylenol. I said, no, but I got a cut on my knee. What happened? Don't take Tylenol. It'll, it'll work. And we were there eating, and lo and behold, Alex was there. Remember now, he's got an excuse. His dad was killed in Haiti. Never knew his dad. He's got an excuse for failure. He was there at the table, just him and his stepson. Well, I don't think Alex considers him a stepson. I think Alex considers him a son. There he was with his son. Telling him about Jesus. You could hear the conversation. Telling his son about Jesus. Jesus is the only one that's going to fix this nation. Through us. We can't be filled with hate towards the world. We can't be filled with hate. Every race is to be blamed. But at the same time, you can't really blame them. The church is to be blamed. We allowed prayer to get removed from the schools. We did. We know how to bring it back, though. We're here to be last. And if we're last, we're servants of all. That's why Jesus said, the Son of Man be delivered into the hand of sinners, elders, chief priests, scribes. They shall kill him. And the third day, he shall rise again. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me daily. He's saying this. I'm telling you what's going to be done to me. I'm going to die. But my consolation is on the third day, he's going to raise me up again. Do you still want some of this? I'm going to die a treacherous death. Do you still want some, Robert? Homer, do you still want some of this? There's a price to pay. There's a price to pay for this manifestation of the kingdom. It's an awesome price to pay. Jesus said in John 13, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. John 15, greater love has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And we'll say to ourselves, yes, 
We'll do whatsoever you ask. Well, yes, we will, Lord. But he said before that, you better know that you got to lay down your life before you do whatsoever I command you. It will come at a, at a price. If you're not concluding that your life does not belong to you, you won't do whatever he asks unless the essentials are executed. The greater love has no man than this, than what Jesus, than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friend, Sarah, if you do whatsoever I ask of you. First John chapter 3. Hereby perceive we the love of God in Christ. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. As we are to lay down our lives for the brethren. Do you see a pattern here? That's what a doulos does. We're last. We might seem like cowards at times. We might seem that we're weak, but we're actually, we're being very strong, powered by his grace. And the more I obey, the more grace is given to make me stronger and stronger and stronger. So even if there is a place where I got to go where I say there's a sentence of death in my life, I'll walk through it because I've already established before the affliction that I'm going to make it because his grace is empowering me. I might go through a hard time, Jesus. I might have to go through a hard time, but I'm already gone through it. I see myself on the other side of this affliction. And your grace will sustain me. First John chapter 4. Again, establishing the lifestyle of a doulos. Of a servant. We're last because we're servants of all. We won't be like the rich young ruler. He's a little bit farther from the kingdom than I thought he was. He really thought he was justified in his own mind. By keeping the Mosaic law. But in essence, he didn't really keep it because he couldn't give to the poor. And if you don't give to the poor, you're not loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He was farther than what I thought. I thought he was real close. But he couldn't give to the poor because he was earthly minded and not heavenly minded. Read it. You'll see it. He was justified in his own eyes. He wasn't that close to the kingdom of God. He trusted in riches to enter the kingdom of God. He was justified in his own eyes. Who couldn't give a crumb to a poor person. Jesus said, but come. Lay down the cross. And follow me. He couldn't do it. Or take up the cross and follow me. We're called to be last. To be first on that day. And servants of all. Pastor Bong testified two weeks ago about a guy that, I don't know who the guy is, the plumber that worked on his house. Where he even told my wife, this guy, thank you for introducing me to Pastor Bong. He's awesome. He prayed and my wife's doing better. See, he came to Pastor Bronk for an answer, for help. That day caught my attention. The world needs more than just a hug, man. 
The world needs. First, then we'll be last in serving the ball. And you'll see why or what I'm referencing in a little bit. I've always seen a doulos as being one subservient to the word of God. And yes, that is. But that, my friends, this might be a shocker to you. Let me finish this sermon before you slap me. But that is, how can I say it? The beginning stages of being a doulos. Now, we continue in obedience to the day that we die. We know that, right? We get to the point where we understand, like Pastor Bronk talked about a month ago, the easy no. Sometimes we grind our teeth. We, oh, I'm not going to do it. Oh, I'm not going to say it. But there's a place where that no comes the easy no. Because John said his commandments are not grievous. They're not grievous. The Greek says they're not a burden to us. That validates what Pastor Bronk said. It validates it. That comes also with the lifestyle of maturity, of waxing strong in spirit and in holiness so that the grace of God will be upon us. Winding down, still being last and servant of all. First John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another for lovers of God. Everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God toward us. And then God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Hearing his love, listen, hearing his love, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, listen carefully to this, beloved, if God so loved us, we are also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. Listen, no man has seen God at any time. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us. But he just said, no man has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God dwelleth in us. What's he saying there? No one has seen God physically. No man has seen God. But if we love one another, God dwelleth in us and his love is perfected in us. What's he saying there? We haven't seen God physically. The world has not seen him physically. But if I love and live out of that place, the God that's never been seen will be felt and experienced because we lay down our life to manifest who he is inside of us. And that far exceeds uh, God loves you. No, no, no. That means I laid down my life so that that eternal life in me would be manifested in this flesh and seen by the world that there is a God. I'm talking obedience now. No man has seen God at any time. But if Pastor Brock lays down his life, no man has seen God at any time. But if we love one another, God that no one's seen is inside of me. 
and the God that's inside of me, when I obey the God that's inside of me, they will say, my God, that brown friend, he's something else. That Carl Ellie, he's something else. I'm a alien. I'm mean as hell. But Carl talked to me about Jesus and I wanted to cry. Those words were marked with grace and love. I want what he has. Lifestyle evangelism. Lifestyle evangelism. Words are necessary. After lifestyle evangelism is lived out. If your greatest evangelism tool is your mouth, you're in trouble. Look at Smith Wigglesworth. There is no manifestation of the kingdom without us laying down our life. We lay down comments. We lay down opinions. We lay down narratives. We lay down contradictions of his word. The waves will always be raging, man. The wind will always be boisterous. But the commandment to come will always be there also. Which one will you believe? Will you believe the elements? Or will you believe the raw word of God? We lay down our life. We lay down our life as doulos. Because outside of seeing a manifestation of the kingdom, there is no hope in this country. Listen to me. There is no no hope. Outside of Bible, outside of, okay, I, I, I'm, yes, yes. My son, I'm, I got to be real careful. I only want to give you an inkling of who I'm talking about. And, I don't, and none of you really know. You probably figured it out, but I'm going to be real careful. My son, one of my sons, I think I already said them and said his name already. They said they huddled a bunch of kids together. And a certain pastor began to share God's word. But there was a kid talking in the huddle. And the man sharing the word grabbed the kid. Listen, I'm sharing God's word. That's not enough, man. Sharing God's word like that, it's cheap. That is a dime a dozen. The word is to be shared, but the anointing is to be felt. What chance do you think or the odds of that young man coming to God when that preacher grabs him like that in front of everybody and embarrasses him? Preaching love. That's a dime a dozen, Pastor Brown. We're called to lay down our life. That's why we execute the essentials, stuff that's absolutely necessary. We give our life to pushing back of the plate. We give our life to the helper, the Holy Ghost. We give our life to purity. We give our life to obedience. We don't mock, we don't laugh at the expense of somebody else regardless of what they're doing. But yet, 
we do speak the truth. And it's not enough to say I'm speaking the truth in love. No, no, no. Just because you say you're speaking the truth in love doesn't mean that you are. I speak the truth in love. No. The truth that you're speaking, that you say you're speaking in love, you better be speaking in love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. That is what I thought was. Miss Gay, get ready, Miss Gay. I think it's it's Mark ten verse forty six to the end. Or if anybody's here, Miss Miss Gay here. Okay. So I shared with you what a doodle says. We live a life subservient to Christ in us. We surrender to this word. We cut out inconsistencies. We eradicate complacency. We eradicate indifference. We ask the Holy Ghost to shine the light on those areas in our life we have, where we have not yet let go to work the will of God. These commandments are not grievous unto us. They get easier and easier and easier. I think I've laid the foundation of obedience. I'm being a doulos. We lay down our life so that the will of God in us will be made. See, you can't speak your mind and live out of his mind at the same time. But you must lay down your mind. Lay down your narrative, put it on the cross, and allow his life and his words to spring forth from that spirit. That is a doulos, or that's part of being a doulos. But the sum total of being a doulos is here. In these final words, don't try to figure it out. Let Miss Gay read it. This is a sum total. We want people born again. We want them filled with the Holy Ghost. Yes, hold on, Miss Gay. But Jesus said in Mark, no, in Matthew 10, I think. He said, whoa, Matthew 11. Matthew something. If miracles are not for today, As some believe that they cease with the apostles. Well, you might want to tell James, the Lord's brother, that in the book of James, he said, not only can the apostles perform miracles, but so can the elders, according to James chapter 5. So they didn't cease after the apostles. The elders performed miracles through the Holy Ghost. And Jesus said, I think it's in Matthew 11. But woe unto you, Capernaum. If the mighty works were done in you, that were done. Woe unto you, if the mighty works were done in Tyre and Sidon. The mighty works were done, that were done in you, Capernaum. If they would be done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. Meaning this. The heathen, the Gentile would have seen the miracles and the mighty works that were done of God, they would have repented. So now that the apostles left, miracles cease. So then there's no more repentance. Miracles were done to get people to repent, to come to the conclusion there is a God in Israel. 
Miracles were manifested. There is a God. He just healed you. He wants your heart. We've got to see this. If the mighty works were done in Tyre and Sidon were done in you, they would have repented long ago. He said the mighty works were the miracles, was the preaching of the kingdom, were miracles. They were done in you. They were done in you. They would have been done in Tyre and Sidon. They would have repented long ago. So if we say miracles are not for today, we cut out 50% of the truth of the gospel. If they're not for today. Now they're not being performed today very much. That's not the fault of our, the fault of our Savior. That's because biblical faith is not where it used to be. But I know who's looking for it. I know who's giving themselves over to the Holy Ghost. I know who's preaching fasting. Who's preaching Jesus. Who's preaching the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Who's preaching holiness. So we know. I can tell I'm done because I'm starting to mumble a little bit. But when Gay's going to read... I've established the last 30, 45 minutes that being a doulos is a man or woman that's subservient to God. We lay down the feeling, we lay down the narrative, we lay down the contradiction so that what we know to be true inside is made manifest. We lay down our life so that the truth would be known to the world. We don't utter one opinion, nothing. So, Ms. Gary, are you up here? In Mark 10. Verse 46 to the end, I think, to verse 52, I think. Listen carefully, guys. Don't try to figure it out. Just read right along with Miss Gay. Yes, ma'am, Mark 10. And they came to Jericho. That's right. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And as he went out of Jericho with his disciples and a great number of people, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the wayside begging. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And many charged him that he should hold his peace. But he cried the more a great deal. Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And they called the blind man, saying unto him, Be of good comfort, rise. He calleth thee. And he, casting away his garment, rose and came to Jesus. And Jesus answered and said unto him, What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? The blind man said unto him, Lord, that I might receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus in the way. Listen carefully. We read about blind Bartimaeus. He was made to see. Prior to that, I began to try my best to articulate to you what it means to be a doulos. Surrender to his lordship. But I like to think that we're a full gospel church. If we didn't preach the miracles for today, we wouldn't be a full gospel church. 
Now, Jesus said, if you're last, you're serving of all. We give ourselves to his lordship, to his word, because we love him. And our life is filled with obedience to Christ in us, to the Holy Ghost. We give ourselves to the essential, to the essentials, the absolutely necessary to do what we're called to do. But being obedient to the faith is a huge part of being a doulos. But being obedient to the faith and praying in the spirit and fasting and going through the gospel, the entire images leads you to something else. He went to blind Bartimaeus. A servant does what? What does a servant do? He serves. What did Jesus tell blind Bartimaeus? What would you that I should do unto you? What was he still being? A what? A doulos. So our obedience, praying out those mysteries, keeping the Bible in context, will lead us to serve society and the sick in the same content as that. What would you that I should do unto you, sir? Pastor Bronk, I can't hear. Have mercy on me. Pastor Bronk's not the Messiah. He's anointed of the Holy Ghost. He is a doulos. Tries to be last, servant of all. And if we continue this path, we'll be able to say to a mockery, as they come to the door, what would you that I should do unto you in the name of Jesus Christ? Rise up for your infirmity. That, my friends, is the sum total of being a doulos. We're last because we're servants of all. That man came to Pastor Bronk because his wife was sick. Pastor Brown gave him some hope through prayer. The day's going to come, and even now, that we'll be able to touch the beer and say, Ma'am, weep not. Young man, I say to you, arise. That sounds stupid and that sounds crazy, but that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What would you that I should do unto you, Carl? What would you that I should? I'm still serving as a servant. I serve God by being obedient to his lordship. And I serve God outside the church. When I see someone sick that needs healing, I'll lay hands on them. I'll serve them and take them to your table, Lord. And they will recover because I've sold out to the gospel. I've sold out. I don't have a life. Blind, blind Bartimaeus saw. He was a doulos, a servant, son of God, served a man. They didn't say why he was blind or how he was blind. It didn't matter to Jesus. He just wanted to be healed. What would you that I should do unto you? That is servanthood, my friends. Jesus was last. And servant of all. That's what's going to happen. 
to those of us that have no life. Where a woman can come in promiscuous. Jesus effect in Luke 7. Promiscuous woman comes in to the house of hypocrites and washes his feet with her hair and wipes him with her with her hair and weeps and cries. Was she gay? Was she a fornicator? Was she an adulterer? I don't know. All I know is she heard about Jesus. Didn't even say from what I understand that he taught in her midst. He might have. She might have heard him on the Sermon on the Mount. She might have heard him. But whatever she heard, maybe she believed John the Baptist. This is him. She found him. She found him. What she say to herself? Oh, my God. It's him. The consolation of Israel. I found him. The Messiah is here. Cried, washed his feet with her tears. And wiped his feet with her hair. And that day her faith made her whole. The Jesus effect, my friends. That's the Jesus effect. John 8, and I'm done. Woman, where are those thine accusers? Has no man condemned thee? No man, Lord. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. The Jesus effect. Lifestyle evangelism. He that follow me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. We're after to rid ourselves. We have a treasure hidden in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of man, empowered by his grace, filled with his spirit, sold out servants to him, being last, being servants of all. That's what it means to be a doulos. The sum total, the end result of being a doulos is that we work his will so the world may know that there is a God. We lay ourselves down to prove through love that there is a God. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. That was excellent. Praise the Lord. That was awesome. 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 Hallelujah. We are so blessed to be able to receive that kind of word. And uh, it's coming from wealth. I mean, some deep places of lived out character. And uh, I'm just humbled to be a part of this church. I'm really humbled because I'll tell you what, present tense it may not be packed out, but I'm telling you that is the least, the least of our concerns. The quality of what Jesus gets to do far out seed, uh, it, it exceeds all of any issue about any of these others. And you're going to hear from others uh, as time goes on when maybe Homer and I are both going at the same time. But that was quality. Thank you, Homer. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Really wonderful. As he was closing up, I was thinking about, in essence, exactly what he was saying. 
um, he told you the one example and uh, about the lady, uh, the man's wife, and then I thought there was another one that happened uh, just recently, and you were a part of it, but a few weeks ago, uh, a friend, not a close friend, but an acquaintance, uh, called and asked for prayer for his girlfriend, and she was in I, I think he thought she wasn't going to make it. I think that he was really scared. She was in the hospital in, I think, critical condition at the time with COVID. And uh, so I prayed, and then I had you pray and become a part of it. And then he came, actually, and paid his respects on a Sunday just because she had come out of it and, and lived and came home. And so um, it was. I was lifting in my garage, which I do, and the door's up, and last week and um i'm working out and a car stops out at the end of the drive doesn't pull in but they're driving by and there's a couple of men there and and somebody's you know like yelling or not yelling like excited but just kind of trying to get my attention and saying hi to me so i'm looking out there so i go you know jogging out to the end of the drive well it's that guy and a friend of his that i don't know and he introduced me and so i said um so he's saying, hi, Pastor Bronk, how you doing? He's real happy. And I said, how's your girlfriend? Well, I, th- I think, it's okay. I mean, I think they probably are cohabitating. Um, but they need Jesus. So, so I said, how's your girlfriend? And, you know, and do you believe, Pastor, first of all, do you believe Pat, that uh, God heals sinners? That's all, that, that's all he ever healed. And Jesus, that's all Jesus ever healed. That's the New Testament. That's what Homer just preached. That's, so I said, how's your girlfriend? And he, he said, oh, she's doing, oh, man, he, he was so excited. He said, thank you so much for praying, so much. Oh, I said, well, God was the one that did it. So, but I, I, I said, I appreciate you saying, and the, and the guy was like, yeah. And so, but it made an impact in that man's life. And they're going to come here and get saved. They're going to get, you know, he heard the gospel. It wasn't, we, we didn't shield the gospel from him, but, um, we're going to just like Homer taught tonight, how many of those people through us becoming a servant and us flowing, allowing the Holy spirit to flow through us with healing and all kinds of manifestations, uh, living a life in front of them. And, uh, so that guy that he was with, he drove away there. I'm sure Sharon, this guy prayed and my, you know, I said, where, how's she doing? Well, she's fine. She's back at the house. Well, I mean, that's okay. They're, they're not born again. They're going to get born again. I mean, it's not okay, but it's, you know, that's just the life where they're at right now. But he, Jesus went there and healed that lady. Hallelujah. So he can get her here later and get her born again. I'm excited. So let's all stand. Thank you, Homer, again, and, and all of you for coming, all those of you that are viewing tonight. We'll see you Sunday. We love you. Father, bless, and we thank you that Immokalee is in revival. Amen.